hey, welcome to First Church. Hope you're excited to be here because today is Disneyland Day. And if you can't tell, I'm excited. I've got my Mickey jacket on and I am ready to go. Now, I didn't want to wear this, but my wife saw it in a store and she said, you've got to wear it for Disneyland Day. I tried it on. She said, you look good. I was like, I'm going to wear it then. So here it is. And I'm excited. I hope you guys are as well. And in this series, you're invited. We're throwing a party every single week because we believe God never intended the church to be something that's boring or irrelevant or dull or dated, that the church is supposed to be a party. It's a cosmic party that God is throwing because of the resurrection of his son. We believe that the church is the place where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. And so we have something today to celebrate and we're celebrating every week in this series. The first week in our series, we had Tailgate Sunday. Last week, we had our Labor Day cookout. And today is Disneyland Day. And so I just want to see, let me ask at all of our campuses, if you'll shout out if you're a Disney fan. Do we have any Disney fans here today? All right. That's what I thought. Well, I'm going to put your fandom to the test. We're going to play a little game, okay? Now, Disney is known for their memorable music. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to play a clip of a Disney song, a well-known Disney song, and then we're going to cut it. We're going to stop it, and I want you guys to carry the next line. Now, we've played games like this before, so if you are a big Disney fan, sing along with us, and then once the song stops, just keep on singing, okay? As my mom used to say when she would drop me off at Children's Church, sing loud, sing proud. So I want I want to hear you guys. Let's see if we can do it. And the first song that we're going to listen to comes from The Lion King. Here we go. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free philosophy. Awesome. That's great. Okay, yeah. I grew up watching the cartoon Lion King. My kids recently got to see the live action version. It's a lot of fun. All right, good. Now, we're, for this next one, we're going to go back in time a little bit further, and we're going to go old school with the old Mickey Mouse Club. Anybody watch that show growing up? Okay, let's see if we can sing the theme song to the Mickey Mouse Club. Here we go. Forever let us hold our banner high. High, high, high. Come on, the song join the Awesome, yeah, that is great. All right, you guys are singing out, cool. Okay, this next one is one that probably all the guys in the room are going to hate, but the girls love it. It comes from the movie Frozen. Here you go. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. I love hearing those guys try to sing high. It's great. It's awesome, really. No, I kid you not, my family went over to Tim Tibbles, a new creative arts minister. We went over to his house the other night, and he has kids that are my kids' age, and they were watching the movie Frozen, and as soon as that song came on, his entire family broke out in song. Talk about surround sound. It was awesome. It was great. His entire family's talented, you know? Okay, one more, and this song comes from one of my favorite Disney movies, Toy Story. When the road Rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what your old past said. Man, that was not good at all, but that's all right. You guys try. Give yourself a round of applause. Thanks for trying. I appreciate it. 
Whether you're a friend, uh, whether you're a fan of Disney or not, I know some people don't like Disney because some of the things they stand for, and I get that, but whether you're a fan of Disney or not, you have to admit, Disney, the Walt Disney Corporation, has influenced thousands, millions, billions of lives throughout the generations across the globe, really. They've inspired people, and that was Walt Disney, the founder of the company's goal. He wanted to inspire people with joy, with hope, with happiness. In fact, when he first pitched the idea for his very first theme park, Disneyland, he said that he wanted Disneyland to be a source of joy and inspiration to all the world. And interestingly, my family has had the chance to visit Disneyland a couple different times. They even went when I was in college with my parents and my brother. And one time when we were there, I remember hearing the story of Disneyland and how Walt Disney got the idea. And basically, he went... To, a, to an amusement park with his two little girls and he realized that there was nothing there for adults to do, that the amusement park was just for kids and the adults, the parents, had to sit back and just watch. So he wanted to create and design a theme park where adults and their children could have fun together. See, Walt Disney's vision for Disneyland wasn't just to create a safe environment for kids to have fun in the midst of a dangerous world, but it was also to create a safe environment where adults could have fun in the midst of a sad world. And you know, when I heard about Disney's vision, I thought that shouldn't be unique just to Disney or to Disneyland. In all reality, that's the vision of God's church. We are here to spread God's joy throughout the world. In fact, Jesus even says this in John 15, verse 11. He's speaking to his followers, his first disciples, and listen to what he says. He says, I have told you these things. In other words, I've taught you all this stuff. I've given you all these teachings for a purpose. And here's the purpose. So that you will be filled with my joy, God's joy, the joy of heaven. And when you're filled with my joy, yes, your joy will overflow. That's why I'm saying over and over again in this series that the church was established to be a community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. Because we are Jesus' followers, we are those that don't just have any type of joy, we have the joy of heaven, we have his joy. And that joy should be so enormous, so overwhelming, that it overflows from us to the people around us. That it overflows from us into the sad world that we oftentimes live in. I mean, if you were to put a stethoscope on the heart of any nation on the face of the planet, what you would find is the same thing, and that's an irregular heartbeat. Just turn on the news, get on social media, listen to what your neighbors are saying, listen to what your kids or grandkids are experiencing in our schools, and you're gonna realize quickly that the heart of our world is sick. And that's the whole reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to set us free from the sickness that sin had caused. He came to restore us to God, to free us from our enslavement to our sin. We're given new purpose in Him. We're given new meaning to life, and we're given hope for tomorrow. And if that's the case, if we truly believe that, and if that is true for us, then we should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. If Disneyland is known for being the happiest place on earth, then the church should be known for being the most joy-filled community on earth. That's what people should see in us. Not just when we come together on Sundays, they should definitely see that then, but they should see that every single day of our lives. That's what our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family members should all see. We're here to take the joy that Jesus has multiplied in us 
and multiply it in the lives of others. That's why we're here. But I think we sometimes need to be reminded of that because it's easy to get distracted and forget what we've been given through Jesus and why we're here. One of my favorite comedians right now is a Christian comedian by the name of John Christ. You've probably heard of him. He's hilarious. And he made a video walking through Disney World one day, and he tried to mimic or mock some of the things he's heard parents say as they take their kids through Disney. And this video is absolutely hilarious. Take a look at it. We made it to the happiest place on earth. It's 9 a.m. I got to schedule every minute of our day until 9 p.m. Pay attention and stay close. I just flew my family halfway across America to visit Disney and all my homeschool kids want to do is visit the Hall of Presidents. We need a map. $45 for bedazzled mouse ears, baby. You want these or you want to go to college? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not waiting an hour and a half for impressions of France, okay? Eat a baguette and lose a world war. That's my impression of France. Let's go to Space Mountain. No, you cannot have goofy shaped chicken nuggets sit down your mother brought ham sandwiches listen rebecca she's not coming out today okay that dream to meet elsa you better let it go oh you want to go to a small world all by yourself huh well it's gonna turn into a pretty big world when you come outside and can't find your parents oh great now my wife wants a photo with gaston perfect well hurry up make believe your feet aren't sore this is disney use your imagination you know what i want to ride a park bench in the shade Honestly, how are there possibly so many strollers in here? We have been here for 10 hours. I mean, my love language is quality time, but not this much. A four hour wait for Toy Story? That line is to infinity and beyond. I feel like we're going the wrong direction. Well, is it air conditioned? If not, I don't want to go. <laughs> I love John Christ, and I've heard my parents say some little things when they would take us to Disney. You know, just like you can be at the happiest place on earth and forget why you're there, Sometimes we can be part of the church and forget exactly why we're on the earth. And I think that was the case for the disciples, Jesus' first followers. They were his very first followers, and they were living with him every single day, and they were experiencing his joy, the joy of heaven. And yet, I think they forgot that they were here also to spread that joy. And we're going to look at a scene where Jesus wants to correct that in Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, Go ahead and look up with me, Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to study today, and we're going to be at verse 13. Now, as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of context. In Mark chapter 10, uh, we see that Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. We're coming to the end of his earthly life. We're probably in the final months, if not weeks, of his life as he's going to Jerusalem in order to go to the cross. And over the past three years, he's been teaching and preaching people about one major thing, and that's the kingdom of God. He calls it the good news of God's kingdom. And this has been one of the primary subjects that he's been talking about, teaching about. In fact, when he first started his preaching and teaching ministry, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, and that word gospel just means good news, the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, believe this good news. Now I want you to notice two things from those verses. First of all, Jesus came proclaiming what? The gospel. Again, that word simply means good news. In your New Testament, anytime you see the word gospel, you can write good news above it if you want to, because that's literally what that word means. Jesus came to bring the world good news, exciting news, the news that we were longing for. And what is that good news all about? He says it's the kingdom of God, that it's at hand. Now, when Jesus says kingdom of God, when he uses that word kingdom, what exactly is he talking about? 
Well, he's not talking about an earthly kingdom, a physical kingdom. He plainly tells us that. John 18, verse 36 says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. This is Jesus talking. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So he's not talking about an earthly, physical kingdom when he talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about a physical palace or physical throne or anything like that. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom that he came to bring to the earth. So by using the term kingdom, what he's talking about is reign or rule. When he says the kingdom of God, he's talking about the reign of God, the rule of God. So anytime you see kingdom of God in the New Testament, just think the reign of God. And what Jesus here is teaching is for way too long, the world has been under the dominion of darkness. For way too long, the evil one has been controlling God's creation. And now that I'm on the scene, God's kingdom reign, his rule is getting ready to break into the earth like it never has before. God is getting ready to take back over what is rightfully his through me. And so now we as the church living on the other side of the cross, we are those who are now experiencing that kingdom rule. We are those who are now part of God's kingdom. We are his kingdom citizens. In fact, Paul says this in Colossians 1 verse 13. He says to the church, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. This is present tense, kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So those of us who follow Jesus' way of life are those of us who live for his kingdom. And those of us who live for his kingdom now are those who will live in his eternal kingdom forever. Right now, we are those living under the reign of God. The church is a community on earth that lives under God's reign. And the more that the church is present on the earth, the more the church grows across the globe, the more the presence of God, the reign of God is here among men. Yes, we when we die, we are going to go and live with God under his reign for all eternity. But what we're supposed to be doing now until that time is allowing God's reign, his rule, his kingdom to break into the earth through our lives. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's not saying people are about to die and go to heaven, but that the reign of heaven is coming to earth. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6 verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to ask for this, to pray for this, for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the church is all about. We're here to bring heaven to earth. And yes, one day we will go to heaven when we die. But right now in the meantime, we're supposed to be making earth look more and more like heaven all the time as we live under God's reign. And that's why over and over again, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, he then gives us practical teaching, practical application, because what he's saying is, if you want to live with me as king, then you got to live like a citizen of my kingdom. And this is what it looks like. And one of those moments where Jesus illustrates what it looks like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom is found in Mark chapter 10. And he has to remind his disciples what it means to be part of his kingdom. So read with me, if you would, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Now remember, 
Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. His popularity is great. People are following him everywhere he goes. And Mark tells us this, verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it, will never be a part of it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So what's going on here? It was customary in this day and age for parents to bring their children to rabbis, especially famous rabbis, to have them lay their hands on these kids and pray for them, pray a prayer of blessing for them. Jesus right now is at the height of his popularity. A lot of people believe he's been sent from God. A lot of people believe he's a prophet from God. And some are even thinking he might be the long-awaited Messiah. So who better to pray a blessing on their children than the possible Messiah? So Jesus has thousands of people flocking to him. Crowds are all around him. He's teaching people. He's healing people of sicknesses. And these parents try to sneak to the front so that their children could be prayed over by Jesus. And as they're trying to get their children to Jesus through the crowds, someone blocks them. Well, it's not just someone. It's a group of people. It's his disciples who were kind of his handlers at this time. They jump in the way. They stand between the children and Jesus, and they say, no, no, no. The master is too busy to be bothered by you right now. Now, I think the disciples had the best intentions, honestly. Jesus was busy. He only has a little time left before he goes to Jerusalem. People are bringing their sick to him. People who are really sick, people who are dying, who need help, are coming to Jesus. And besides that, Jesus needs to take moments to teach his profound truths that are changing people's lives. I mean, Jesus is busy, and I think the disciples are thinking, listen, he just doesn't have time to pray over little children right now. He's got more important things to do. They block these parents from bringing their kids to Jesus. There was this guy a few years ago who wanted to propose to his girlfriend at Disney World, and so he had it all set up. He was gonna get down on one knee in front of the big castle, and he hired a photographer to take a picture as he got down on one knee to capture that moment, to capture her face when he popped the question with the castle in the background. It's gonna be this magical moment in the Magic Kingdom. And so the guy gets down on one knee, and this photographer is ready to snap the shot, and right as the photographer takes the picture, this is what happens. A guy walks in front of him. Take a look at this picture on the screen. A guy walks in front of him. Now, the guy in the teal kind of green shirt in the back, he's the guy proposing, and the guy in the white shirt with that black strap, we don't know who he is. He just walks right in front of the camera as he was taking a picture, and they missed their magical shot. Now, I get it. This guy who walked in front of the camera, he didn't know what he was doing. That wasn't intentional. It was just a busy street, and he was trying to get through. I get that. I don't blame that guy. But in our passage today... The disciples knew exactly what they were doing. They were intentional about this. They were trying to keep the children from Jesus. And when Jesus sees this happening, verse 14 tells us, he was indignant. Now here's the thing. When something makes Jesus mad, we probably need to pay attention to it. When something upsets Jesus, we probably need to take notice. And so why was Jesus mad in this moment? See, here's the thing, Jesus occasionally does get upset and get mad in the Gospels, but normally it's at people who claim to be religious but who aren't really following him. 
In this situation, he gets mad at those who are claiming to follow him. He gets mad at those who know him better than anyone else, his very disciples. So why is Jesus so mad in this passage? It's because for three years now, he's been talking about what it means to live with him as king. And the disciples have been taking all that in, but yet they still haven't got it yet. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, we already read these words, but verses 14 and 15, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In other words, guys, you're missing what my kingdom is all about. You're missing what it means to really live with me as king. See, Jesus was pouring into these men, but they weren't overflowing with the joy that he had given them. And so Jesus takes a moment to remind his disciples what being part of his kingdom, what being part of his community, what following him is really all about. He doesn't want them to miss it and he doesn't want us to miss it either because we don't want to be like this lady. Here's a picture of a lady on Splash Mountain. She's a second from the top and look at her. She looks miserable. Everybody else is smiling, screaming, having a good time, and look at her. She does not want to be on Splash Mountain. This is the miserable Splash Mountain lady, okay? Now, we don't want to be that lady. And yet, I've seen that lady sitting in a pew before. Maybe not that exact lady. But you guys know what I'm saying. We're supposed to be the most joy-filled community on the face of the planet. God's joy is supposed to overflow from us to others. And yet, I've seen Christians. I've been around Christians who act completely miserable most of the time. And I think what Jesus here is letting us know is, hey, listen, my kingdom isn't the magic kingdom, but it is the Messiah's kingdom, and that's even better. And if the Messiah's kingdom is what you're a part of, then you should be the most joy-filled people on the face of the planet. And so he explains what being a member of the Messiah's kingdom is all about here in this text. And I think as we look at what he says, it'll give us a lot of joy, a lot of reason for joy as his people. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us here is that the church is a community where everyone matters. See, in our passage here today, Jesus not only welcomes children, he elevates them. And that was a huge deal, especially in this culture. Because even though Jewish families living in the first century world, even though they honored their own children within their family unit, children were still at the bottom of the cultural social ladder. Mark Moore, who taught for years at Ozai Christian College, says this in his commentary. He says, Jewish children were expected to be quiet and submissive and were generally equated with servants until they came of age. See, children in this day, they were considered weak, they were considered helpless, and they had very little rights. And yet, Jesus turns his attention from the adults who are around him to these kids. Most Jewish men in this day and age would not even acknowledge kids as they ran down the street. They didn't care about them. Children were not a priority unless they were of their own family. For Jesus to turn his attention from adults to kids, that was a huge deal. And Jesus did this for a reason, because Jesus is all about loving the least and not excluding them. And that's why in the church, as his followers, as his community, as his kingdom, we believe everyone matters. Everyone is significant. Everyone is important. Regardless of age, race, social status, economic status, popularity, past mistakes, 
Everyone matters. And everyone matters in the church because we know God believes everyone matters. In Hebrews chapter 8, here we see a promise from God about what life will be like under his son's new covenant. And listen to what the scripture says. God says, I will be their God. They will be my people, my community, my family, from the least of them to the greatest. From those who are the least in society to those who are considered great in society, everyone will have a seat at my table. Everyone will have a place among my people. And that's the opposite of how our culture functions, isn't it? Our culture today is so fractured. It's so divided. We're fractured among generations. I mean, generations don't get along in our culture for the most part. They really don't. I don't know how many times I've had somebody come to me and say, you know, those millennials, they're just ruining everything. And I look at them thinking, I am a millennial, and I didn't know I was ruining anything. I'm sorry. I apologize for whatever I did to upset you. And then I hear sometimes younger people, oh, you know, the older folks, they just don't get it. Why is it that we're so divided among generations? See, in the church, that's not supposed to happen. The church is supposed to be intergenerational. Because we understand that each of us needs one another. We need the wisdom of older folks. We need the excitement of younger folks. We need one another. And we need to be one family together. We should turn cultural norms upside down when it comes to being intergenerational. But also our culture today, it's divided among other things, like race, for example. I mean, just turn on the news and you'll see that. And we're divided over issues such as race. And in the church, we are all one in Christ because the church is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it doesn't matter your racial background. When you come together with God's people, we are all one because we know we are all created in the image of God. And we don't see one another, uh, we don't separate ourselves from one another because of race, but all we see is another brother and sister in Christ. But what about when it comes to the division that's out there between the haves and the have-nots. Our society is divided over wealth and possessions and status and all that kind of stuff, not so in the church. In the church, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how much you put in the offering plate, it doesn't matter what job you had, it doesn't matter your social status, I don't care how many friends you have on Facebook, it doesn't matter. We are all one in Christ and every single life is valuable. I'll never forget one time taking my son Alex when he was three years old to the Fayette Mall. It's a big mall in, in Lexington, Kentucky. And they have a play area and he always liked to play in that play area. So I let him do it for a few minutes. And I'm sitting on a bench just watching him, make sure he's okay. And he starts to play with five other kids. And I watched him very closely to make sure nothing happened, but he was having a good time. And one thing I realized after watching him for a few minutes was that every single kid he was playing with from outward appearance was very different. There were kids there you could tell were from a different economic background. There were those who were from different social backgrounds. There were kids there of a different race than my son. There was even one little girl who spoke a different language. I heard it at one point. And yet those kids played together and none of that stuff stopped them. My son didn't say, okay, now what's your background before he played with any of them. He just played with them. You know why? Because it was just another kid to have fun with. He just saw another person. And maybe that's one reason why Jesus says to us, if you want to be part of my kingdom, you got to think like a little child. You can't let those things that adults divide over divide you in the kingdom of God. And so I just want to let you know today, if you've been part of a church in the past that has isolated you or excluded you or treated you poorly for any reason whatsoever, let me just say, first of all, I am sincerely sorry because that's not what God's church is supposed to be. I'm sorry. 
And here at First Church, we don't claim to be perfect, but the one thing we teach over and over and over again is that everyone is equally loved by God and everyone matters in his eyes. I think children get that and sometimes we as adults miss it. But then the second thing we learn about the church in this passage is that the church is a community where it's okay to admit you're not okay. Like I said earlier, children were considered weak and helpless in this day and age, and yet Jesus says in verse 15, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Why does Jesus say this? Because adults, we like to cover up our mistakes. We like to hide our weaknesses. We like to pretend like we have it all together. But in all reality, what we need to admit is that every single one of us, regardless of age, we're all helpless. The Bible teaches that, Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. See, because of sin, all of us are like the rest of us. See, sin puts us all in the same boat. It places us all on the same playing field. Yes, the individual sins we've committed might be a little different, but sin has affected and infected all of us. And in that way, all of us are like the rest of us. Because all of us need a savior. All of us need Jesus. So in the church, this is a place, this is a community where it's okay to admit you're not okay because none of us are okay. And it's only when you admit you're not okay that you will then seek Jesus' help. It's only when you admit your brokenness that Jesus can come in and heal you and make you whole. I'll never forget preaching on that very subject at a large gathering one time. There were thousands of people there, and I was preaching on this subject that in the church, it's okay to admit you're not okay. And one guy came up to me, and he was furious afterwards because he said, you are celebrating sin. And I looked at him, no, I'm not celebrating sin. I'm just celebrating that God has given us a way home from sin. That's what I'm celebrating. And in the church, sometimes we want to act like we have it all together, that we're perfect. That's not what the church is supposed to be. We're a place where it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to admit our mistakes because all of us have made them and all of us need Jesus. And again, I think that's why Jesus uses little children as his example of kingdom citizenship because children, let's face it, they can't take care of themselves. They can't provide for themselves. They need someone else to do it for them. We have a church leader here at First Church that every time he sees my son Alex or almost every time he sees my son Alex, he will look at him and be like, Alex, you're getting bigger. You got a job yet? And Alex will laugh at him and say, no, I'm too little to have a job. And he'll say, well, pretty soon you got to stop bumming off your parents. And Alex will laugh. And it's a little interchange they have all the time. And we all know Alex isn't really bumming off his parents. He's not able to take care of himself. He can't provide for himself at this point. And again, maybe that's why God refers to us as his children. Because spiritually speaking, we can't take care of ourselves. We need him. And he will take care of us. He will heal us. He will make us whole. He will forgive us. He will give us hope and purpose in life. If we'll just admit we're not okay and seek his help. But then the last thing that I see in this passage is that the church is a community where lives are transformed. I love the change that takes place from the beginning of this passage to the end. Our story starts with children who are some of the lowest in society, again, being rejected and treated poorly by those in authority. And in this situation, those in authority happen to be the disciples. But it ends with these same children who felt rejected and were treated poorly. These same children 
are now being loved and embraced and elevated by Jesus. You see, these children came to Jesus empty, but they left full. And guys, that's what Jesus does. He rewrites the story of our lives. He gives us new meaning and new purpose for life. And that's why I get so excited about the mission of Jesus. Because I know how his love has changed me and I know how he can change your life as well. I've said this before and I'm going to keep saying it. By far, Jesus Christ is the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I'm telling you, I don't want to even imagine where I would be today if it wasn't for him. Because I know it wouldn't be good. He has radically changed my life. And he can change yours as well for the, for the better. And that's why I love my job here. Because even though there are rough days, I get to hear story after story. I get to see and experience story after story of lives being changed. And whether it's stories of restored marriages or addictions that have been overcome or people who are lonely who have now found community through the church or people of anger that have been replaced by peace or whatever it is, I love hearing how Jesus transforms lives. And that's why this is a place, this is a community that celebrates because the story of our lives has been rewritten by God's love and we've been given what we don't deserve. And I just want you to know today, if right now you feel alone, rejected, empty, broken, isolated, lost, whatever, Jesus won't turn you away. He wants to get rid of whatever it is that's standing between you and him today and pick you up and embrace you and let you know that one, you are loved by him, but two, he has the power to transform your life. And when you experience that transformation, that transformation should be contagious. You should wanna share that joy with everyone. I mentioned earlier that I got to go to Disneyland in California for the first time with my parents and my brother. We went when I was still in college and we had been to Disney World in Florida a couple times when we were little, but never to Disneyland. And so the first time I went there in California was when I was older in college and we really had a fun time. But one thing stood out to me during that trip. My dad was giddy when he was at Disneyland and I didn't understand that because if you know my dad, you know he's kind of this stern guy. He kind of has this intimidating presence. In fact, a lot of my friends going up when they first met him were scared to death of my dad. Now my dad's a great guy, he's a godly man, but he just kind of has that look. He doesn't show a lot of emotion. That's something that I did not inherit from him. I show emotion all the time, but he's not that way at all. And he's just this very stern, serious guy. It's just his personality and that's, that's who I grew, grew up with. And then we went to Disneyland in California and my dad is like skipping down Main Street USA and I'm like what happened to my dad and so I asked my mom I was like what's come over dad and mom said your dad grew up as a little boy always wanting to go to Disneyland he would see it on TV and he would ask his parents his parents said we don't have money to go to Disneyland and he thought from the time he was a little kid that he would never get to go to Disneyland and now that he's here, it's like he's a kid again. Here's a picture of my family at Disneyland. I'm the one that's right beside Mickey. That's my little brother beside me. Uh, he's changed a lot since that picture. So have I, I think. But there's my mom and dad. And what I love about that picture is that my dad is smiling. 
Because during that time in my dad's life, he never smiled in pictures. He's, he does so more now, but I think that's because of grandchildren. They've changed him. But back then, he would never smile in a picture. And that was one of the few pictures we had from that era of my dad's life when he's actually smiling. It was funny because several years after my parents took my brother and I to Disneyland, uh, I was going to attend a Christian conference that was going to be in Anaheim, California, and the conference center was going to be right beside Disneyland, so we were going to take a few extra days and go to Disney. Some of the staff from the church where I served, they were going to go as well. And we had a staff member at that time. He was a part-time staff, staff member still in college. His name's CJ. Uh, CJ Epperson is now our Stone Canyon minister. He's now on staff with me again here at First Church. CJ is a close friend. But at the time, uh, he was you know, much younger, and he didn't have a whole lot of money. Like I said, he was getting paid part-time by the church and had all those college expenses. And so he went to the conference because the church paid for him to go to the conference. But he wasn't going to go to Disney because it was going to be like 180 bucks to go for one day to Disney. And he said, it's not worth it. And I was telling my dad about this because my dad knows CJ and his family. And my dad said, tell CJ he's going to Disney. And I was just like, well, he doesn't have the money to do it. He said, I'll pay for it. I said, you're gonna pay $180 for him to go to Disney for one day? He said, that was one of the greatest days of my life. He said, I want CJ to experience that as well. Tell him I'm gonna pay for him to go. And so then I said, well, dad, you're gonna pay for my family to go as well? And um, he didn't do that. But anyway, he, he paid for CJ to go. And I'll never forget after we got back from our trip, when we met my dad, what he wanted to know was, how was CJ's experience? And so I told him about his day at Disney and my dad just had this huge smile on his face and he said, I wanted him to experience what I experienced. That's great. You see, when you experience true joy, you get excited about something, you can't help but share it. And I think that's why Jesus gets so upset with the disciples in this moment it's because they were receiving joy from him, but they weren't sharing it with those who needed it the most. See, Jesus wants us to move from just being party goers to being party throwers. And yeah, in this series, you're invited. We're throwing a party every single week, but the party doesn't end when the series ends. And yes, today is Disneyland Day, and when you leave today, there's gonna be Disney characters out there. We've got a reptile zoo. We've got inflatables for the kids. We've got cotton candy. We've got all sorts of stuff. We're throwing a party here today. But guys, when you leave this campus, or you leave our Stone Canyon campus, the party doesn't end. We take the party with us wherever we go. Jesus doesn't want us just to be party goers. He wants us to be party throwers. Because if this joy is real that we say we have, there's no way we're gonna be able to keep it in. If Disneyland is the happiest place on earth, the church should be the most joy-filled community on the face of the planet. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we've had to be here as your people. May we take the joy that your son has multiplied in us and multiply it in others. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.